You may be seated. Good morning. Our sermon text is from Romans chapter 8, 18 through 27. As you may remember, a couple weeks ago, for two weeks in a row, we, Pastor John preached from Romans 8, and it fired me up. So I wanted to finish the chapter. What a good chapter it is. And so uh, we'll be going through 18 through 27 of chapter 8 of Romans today. Let me open us uh, with a word of prayer. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you uh, once again that we get to open your word. I pray that your spirit would illuminate, uh, illuminate it for us so that we can have understanding and feast upon uh, your marvelous truths of your word uh, so we can live the Christian life uh, better. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Do you feel a deep sense of longing? A deep sense of longing. Are there days in which you feel an inner groaning in your soul for something that is almost unexplainable? King Solomon, many, many, many years ago, observed that eternity is written in our hearts. You see, we know that we were made for something else, something better, and we long for it. Well, my friends, the good news is that for those in Christ, God will give abundant life. And so our big idea this morning is this, uh, that since God will fulfill our deepest longings in the life to come, we must wait for it with patience. We must wait for it with patience. Our outline's pretty simple. Uh, We will see a future hope, a patient hope, and a helpful hope. So let's begin with verses 18 through 22, a future hope, where we will see that since our future glory so outweighs this present suffering, we must joyfully wait for it. We must joyfully wait for this day to come. In this chapter of Romans, the Apostle Paul is outlining all the marvelous benefits of the Spirit of God, that He works in the hearts of the people of God. We learn that if our minds are set on the things of the Spirit, we know that we have the Spirit. And since we know we have the Spirit, we know we belong to Christ. And since the same Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in us, we can be assured that we will one day rise again as Jesus Himself did, since we are fellow heirs with Christ, as Paul says in this chapter. And now, although uh, all of this is beautifully weaved together, uh, Paul's focus now is primarily this inward struggle that is created by the mere fact that we have the spirit of adoption. You see, we have the spirit now, and so our hearts yearn for the day where we are set free not only from the power and guilt of sin, but the very presence of sin. We long for the revealing of the sons of God. We long to see Jesus face to face and become like him. We long for the day where faith is no longer necessary, for we will see with our eyes and hear with our ears and touch with our hands. And now verse 18 is somewhat of a header for the rest of what is said in this passage. In this life we suffer, as is acknowledged throughout the scriptures, and as we all know, But not just in general, but when you live a life for Jesus, you will suffer for him. Most commonly for us in America, through slander or ridicule, things like this. But when you consider the hope to come, Paul says, this suffering is nothing in comparison. Nothing in comparison. 
to what is to be revealed to us. Paul in 2 Corinthians even refers to his suffering as light momentary affliction. Light momentary affliction. Very interesting. May I remind you of some of his sufferings as he outlines in 2 Corinthians. Imprisonments with countless beatings, often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews and the forty lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys and in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers and toil and hardship. There are many a sleepless night and hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And Paul says, this is a light, momentary affliction. A light, momentary affliction. What do you call your suffering? A light, momentary affliction? How could Paul say this? How could he think of it in this way? Well, because he lives comparing it to the glory that is to be revealed to us. That is how he can say such a thing. And interestingly, this day that we are waiting for, the very creation waits for it as well. Note that the creation itself is groaning, just like we are. And the creation is awaiting this day where it is set free from corruption. And as we read earlier, the creation's waiting for the day that the wolf dwells with the lamb, and the cow and the bear graze together. And when we obtain the freedom of the sons of God, the creation, which God gave to us to take dominion of, obtains the freedom that it once had. And now, although plants... Animals, the creation, are, are not like humanity. They're not like us. They're not made in the image of God. There's, there's some sense here that, that there is a, an innate understanding that something is not right. The creation, as he says, waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Fascinating. This day that we wait is so glorious that even the creation cannot wait for this day of resurrection. It is groaning. The creation is groaning in the pains of childbirth. As one theologian phrases it, childbirth has a hoped-for outcome, the birth of a baby. And so the creation groaning has a hoped-for outcome. That is the freedom of the glory of the children of God. You know, surely uh, kids can get impatient for vacation, as, as we are. Me and my family are currently on vacation in Siesta Key. Uh, but most of the time when we would tell our kids before this vacation that the beach house is coming up, um, they would be filled with joy. They would be thinking about all the fun they were going to have at the beach house and what they were going to do there. And they would even start packing bags days prior, filling them with Spider-Man toys and stuff like that. And it's, it's like the thought of the vacation outweighs their present circumstance. They're not on vacation, but the very thought of the vacation brings joy and contentment in the present. And so it is with our future glory. It outweighs our present suffering. And so we, like little children, must joyfully wait for that day that is surely coming our way. It can be hard to wait, especially joyfully, as we know. It's easy to get impatient 
because we Christians know in a deeper way than anyone else just how messed up things really are and just how good eternal life is going to be as we have seen little glimpses of it that God gives us in His Word and in worship and in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who causes us to cry out, Abba, Father. But God doesn't want you to take this knowledge you have, this hope that you have, and be impatient with it. He wants this hope to enable you to live for the Lord in joy. Uh, how much more even keel can a Christian be when they understand that the sufferings of this present time are not even worth comparing to what is to come? Christians used to be known, and hopefully in some instances are still known, as the ones who died well. Why? Because the suffering of this present time is not even worth comparing to what is to come. Christian, you have nothing to fear. You have every reason in the world to be joyful and content, regardless of how difficult your present circumstance may be. Regardless of how difficult it may be. If you find yourself falling to depression or anxiety or things like this, I challenge you to consider the abundant life to come. Glorify God, being filled with gratitude for what He has done and will do for us. And watch your hearts be filled with the joy of the Lord. And so we have this future hope coming our way that doesn't even compare to present-day suffering. But now, as our second point, we have a patient hope. This hope is to be patient. Now let's draw our attention to verses 23 through 25. And here we'll see that since we have the first fruits of the Spirit, we must be filled with hope. And so because we have the Spirit, we know we are going to obtain this glorious inheritance, which we can call the adoption as sons. And yes, you ladies receive adoption as sons as well. And that is significant because although you are a woman, in the ancient world you would have not received full adoption. And although you are a woman, you will as a son would, which was not offered in Paul's day. And since we know what awaits us, we groan. Notice, he says, not only the creation groans, but, verse 23, we ourselves who are the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan. Surely non-Christians groan, surely, but they groan without hope. This groan spoken of here is a bit different. It's not a hopeless groaning. This is the groaning of someone who's waiting for something that will surely take place. Imagine you haven't eaten in a few days and your friend calls you and tells you that he's going to treat you to Burns Steakhouse. Burns Steakhouse. How fancy. Can you imagine? You would be groaning, waiting for that marvelous steak, some baked potato maybe. But you're not groaning because you don't know you're going to get it. You're groaning because you know that you're going to get it. And you cannot wait to satisfy your hunger. And well, there, this redemption of our bodies is far more certain than that burned steakhouse dinner. For God, who cannot lie, promised, before, promised eternal life before the ages began. Titus 1-2. And so we groan knowing that we will receive our promised inheritance. And God will surely satisfy our every longing. For He is the fountain of all goodness, beauty, and truth. 
And one day we will be able to drink of Him forever and ever and ever and never be thirsty again when the good work that He began in us is completed. One day the triune, happy God will make you completely happy and joyful, never to feel sadness or pain again. And so we're caught up in this tension, aren't we? For we are now a new creation in Christ, and yet we await the completion of it. And so we groan with discomfort, for we want to be fully satisfied. We're hungry, and we are well aware, well aware of the meal that awaits us. But why can we be assured that we will be fully satisfied with the abundant life of God? Paul tells us, because we have the first fruits of the Spirit. Because you have the down payment of the Spirit. Because you have the deposit. You have the guarantee. The Spirit of the living God that indwells you. The Spirit that indwells us is the proof. All the proof that you need. Since you have the first fruits, you know that the harvest will come. So Paul exhorts us to hope. He exhorts us to hope. G.K. Chesterton defines hope this way. Hope is the power of being cheerful in circumstances which we know to be desperate. It's the power of being cheerful in circumstances that we know to be desperate. And we can be cheerful in the midst of circumstances because we know how certain this hope is. As the author of Hebrews calls it, it is a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. And this is the reason in part that we can wait patiently because we know how sure it is. It is so certain that Paul says in our passage, in this hope we were saved. In this hope we were saved. Past tense. So you see this tension again. We hope for this day of redemption, and yet we can say we were saved already. This is one of the greatest blessings of the Christian life, that we can live this life with hope. Many of you remember what it was like to have no hope. Some of you may not know Christ and have no hope today. It can feel purposeless and meaningless. You sort of mope around doing the next thing in front of you, not having a reason why. But through Christ and the Spirit that indwells us, we have something to live for and something to look forward to. This is not our best life now. And that's okay. One day, things will be made the way that God intended them to be. You will be exactly who God made you to be, in other words. And so live with this hope, never forgetting what is to come. This hope gets you on your feet in service. It frees you to serve and have fellowship and live the good life that God has given you under the sun. It's difficult to be depressed, something so many struggle with, when you have a deep abiding hope, which leads you to action. You may have heard some psychologists say that getting a depressed person to serve and help others is a great way to heal them from the depression. Well, eagerly awaiting this day in hope leads us to joyfully serve the Lord. But notice that Paul also exhorts us not only to be eager, he also says to be patient. You want to hold those things together. Paul says both things. Be eager and be patient. You want to live, in other words, saying, Come, Lord Jesus. That should be the prayer 
on your heart every day. But you also want to be content submitting to God's will in all things, His timing, not yours. So be eager and excited, and let this hope fill you with joy, but be patient. So it's like these two things we should hold together, these two biblical phrases. Not my will, Father, but thine. And come, Lord Jesus. We should hold these two things together. So, Christian, you have been given the first fruits, so have hope. We have looked at our future hope and now a patient hope. But now let's consider a helpful hope in verses 26 through 27. And this is where we see that since our groanings do not go unheard, we must not let our weakness cripple us. We must not let our weakness cripple us. Paul starts off in verse 26 saying, Likewise, meaning that not only do we have the Spirit, which is the down payment of this inheritance to come, and so is the source of our hope, which sustains us in this life, but the Spirit also helps us in this life before we obtain adoption as sons. Paul says the Spirit helps us in our weakness. In our weakness. Here, and and that is referring to the weakness of our human natures, living in this now and not yet tension that we've discussed. We were saved, and yet we are being saved, and yet we will be saved. Paul uses all, all of those phrases. And living in this tension creates these deep groanings that we can't even put to words sometimes. And so the Spirit that dwells in us, the Holy Spirit, God the Spirit, puts these groans to good use. Remember, this is no everyday run-of-the-mill Spirit. This is no invisible force. This is God the Spirit. Same in substance and glory with the Father and the Son. So much so Paul can use language like this in 2 Corinthians 3. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And brethren, one day this freedom won't just be inward, but we will see it with our own eyes in the abundant life that is to come. So this Spirit, which brings freedom in in the life to come, also brings freedom in this life and helps us by interceding for us daily. I love how John Murray states it beautifully. He says this, The children of God have two divine intercessors. Christ is their intercessor in the court of heaven, while the Holy Spirit is their intercessor in the theater of their own hearts. Amen. Have you ever been at a loss for words? Have you ever been at a loss for words and maybe a friend or a spouse knew exactly what you're trying to say and uh, and they said it for you? Sometimes my my son Sammy needs me to intercede for him. He's the three-year-old. And interestingly, he will say certain phrases that I can only discern uh, because I know him. That's how I can discern them. Uh, It sounds like I understand him, but it's just that I I really know his heart. I'm around him all the time. Not perfectly. I don't know his heart perfectly, of course. But uh, For for example, he loves wearing a Spider-Man costume all the time, every day, literally. It's his favorite, but he can't say Spider-Man costume well at all. It's almost impossible for him uh, to say it. It's basically gibberish when he tries to say it. But I will have to intercede on his behalf to a babysitter sometimes, or or someone like that. Well, the Spirit of God who dwells in you knows your heart and intercedes on your behalf to the Father. 
so that even your groanings, your deepest groanings and longings, are interpreted according to the will of God. You know, I've heard so many say things like, I know, you know, this is your job. I know you pray better than me, so I need you to pray for me. And maybe someone has said that to you before. You've been a Christian longer than me. You pray for me. You're better at it. But it always grieves me and saddens me that someone, that people think like this. Yes, yes, please ask others to pray for you when you are in need. But not because they pray better than you. The most beautiful, eloquent prayers still needs the Spirit's interpretation. For the efficacy of prayer is not reliant upon how well-spoken the prayer is. The efficacy of a prayer is reliant upon the Spirit of the living God, which all Christians, immature, new, old Christian, young Christian, all Christians have. We are all helpless saints in need of the Spirit of God, for apart from Him, we can do nothing. So for even when you do not know what to pray for, or you, have, you don't have any words, the Spirit knows exactly what your groaning means and interprets it and tells it to the Father on your behalf according to His will. If that's not encouraging, I don't know what is. You see, we don't have this a thing to look forward to, and in the meantime, God leaves us in misery. No, we have the comfort of the Spirit who supports us and sanctifies us and builds us up and even interprets our groanings. God knows your very needs, all of them. He knows your hearts. He hears your cries. And even when you can't articulate them, He hears them and understands them. Not only do you have hope then for the future, but you have hope right now in the present, a living hope, a present hope. You and your groanings matter to God. You may remember the Israelites before God delivered them out of Egypt. They're slaves in Egypt under a horrible tyrant. And here's what the text says. Exodus 2, 23-25. During those many days, the king of Egypt died and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. And God heard their groaning. And God remembered His covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. And God knew. You see, our God isn't just a help in the end. He is a help, an ever-present help in times of trouble. He is a help today. It's so easy to let your weakness and life circumstances cripple you. But Christian, the Lord is on your side. So be strong and courageous, living in the Spirit, looking forward to this day that is to come. And so since our groanings do not go unheard, we must not let our weakness cripple us. We must remember that God will fulfill our deepest longings in the life to come. And so we must wait with eagerness, with patience, knowing that God will surely bring about the good work that He has begun in us. And the proof is the Holy Spirit, who intercedes for you to the Father, the down payment of our inheritance. In the words of David, You will show me the path of life, and thy presence is fullness of joy. 
At thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we long for the day to see Jesus face to face, and yet we are still here on this earth serving you. Help us to do so with joy, with patience, with eagerness, as we pray all together in Jesus' name. Amen.